Welcome to episode 455 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have regular contributor, homesteader, winemaker, sensei, and our reluctant resident philosopher, straight out of Stockbridge, Vermont, Almighty Todd. And we talk with the Almighty about the cold, music from the White River, preservation as compared to conservation, threats to democracy, deep ecology, violent rhetoric, exploitation, the overturn window, and keeping the ozone, among other things. A grand conversation with our reluctant resident philosopher, Almighty Todd. We have an EWSA titled Galaxy, and we share some actual statistics from Harper's Magazine, its January 2022 publication. I think you'll find them compelling. And we have a poem called Gray Day. All of this, of course, will be imbued, infused with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it. Episode 455 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours.
keep hurting her. She'll keep being quiet. She might be holding something inside that'll really, really hurt you one day. I see her in the hospital. Bandage from foot to head. In a state of shock. Just that much from being dead. You couldn't believe the girl would do something like this You didn't think the girl had the nerve But here you are I guess actions speak louder than words It's a thin line Between love and hate It's a thin line Between love and Galaxy. How much marijuana should one smoke? It's medicine now, officially. That means it's good for you. Though, I suppose too much medicine can be harmful. I often wonder and struggle with what motivates me. It is a bit frustrating, nigh disheartening, when you realize how small you are most of the time. What I mean by small is... What indeed, deep down, in your bones, heart, soul, mind, motivates you, propels you, stymies you? Fear, greed, lust, delusions of grandeur, being a good boy, a good girl, heaven, hell, nirvana. I am being redundant. Maybe I should pack a bowl with some sativa, or eat a heart-shaped gummy and feel the energy of the galaxy in my lower dantian, up my system, through my third eye, into the biosphere, eventually melding with the energy of the sun as I run around in my circles. But now, in touch with the sun, man, that's some good stuff. I think it is a hybrid. I think about those people I love and those I'm supposed to love and those who are supposed to love me and those that perhaps do truly love me. And then the wind blows and my wooden chimes reverberate from the back porch into my rhythm core. <laughs> what a chore. Dollars in my hand 
Todd, is that you? Oh, Mr. Conundrum, it's me. Is that you? It is. Happy 2022. We haven't spoken this year on the radio, at least. Not yet. And uh, yes, I'll I'll be cautiously optimistic about the happy part, but it is definitely a new year. I will <laughs> I will acknowledge that that fact. Almighty Todd, homesteader, winemaker, sensei, and our reluctant resident philosopher, as you can probably see, straight out of Stockbridge, Vermont, on uh, this early January, mid-January day. How's it going? How's the winter up there in uh, Stockbridge, Vermont? Well, it has certainly finally arrived. It was. It feels like it was a, a late in coming. We don't have as much snow as we'd like, but the cold has arrived. We've had a couple of snaps here so far and i guess saturday coming up is going to be pretty pretty chilly as well just about zero during the day and that's about where that's my comfort zone down to about zero beyond that it's i feel like it's it's excessive <laughs> excessively hot <laughs> excessively cold oh cold, cold. <laughs> if, i no, thought you were I, saying if it's above zero no 
So you, no, I, you know, I, I'll, I, I, I deal with it, but I'm not, I'm not like a big fan of the deep, deep cold. It's too much like outer space and like death. Really? So, really? Yeah. So, but it's, but I like it for the fact that it's a good reminder. Like, I never feel like it'll get hot enough to kill me. Like, I can't find some shade, or get in the water or something. <laughs> but you know, cold. It gets cold enough that you know, you gotta gotta be aware you can't just go off the side of the road <laughs> right they'll, they'll find you they'll find you you know frozen <laughs> next to a tree <laughs> yeah yeah and how's the white river looking i know you have the white river right at the base of your your homestead it's still open um but there are like um sheets of ice forming and floating down um so and that makes there's actually kind of a nice music that it makes when it's coming over um rapids or you know riffles it kind of tinkles it's almost like little uh like xyl- mini xylophones i don't know how to explain it but it's 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 an interesting percussive sound i love it i love it um so we're going to get into nature today a bit and the the environment you want to talk about i asked i asked yeah. already Tad, what do you want to talk about and he said well let's talk about preservationism compared to conservationism or preservation versus conservation and then uh, true environmental philosophy and and see where that takes us violent rhetoric is something else you mentioned i'm not sure i mean i I think i know what that means um yeah i I just think that that's something uh we'll maybe we'll wrap up with that not that there's um just because it's something i think everyone ought to be discussing yeah definitely so but but I, i i almost feel like I, there have been some things I've been thinking about in terms of the environmental angle that there are some ties and parallels culturally that match up with some other stuff that's going on that kind of are leading us to this into this current phase of American democracy or or the uh, threat not to have democracy. Um, and there are some – I feel like there are some – Co- comorbidities, so so to speak, between huh. civility and democracy and environmental health. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, that involve human beings as being a um, a, a factor in that, not just because of our pollutants, because of the way we think about things. And so, yeah, when I was posing that to you, I, I got to thinking way back to when we, you know, we met and we were going to school up here on on the topic, and that. Um, Fighting swans. We're both fighting swans. <laughs> fighting swans, yes. <laughs> Vermont Law School fighting swans, yeah. Yes, the the ultimate Frisbee team. <laughs> <laughs> they had a rugby team too. But but anyway, yeah. I, I don't want to get you off track. Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. No, no, it's, it's fine. Um, that, you know, articulating where environmental thinking was at, it hasn't really changed that much in, in that many years. And I, I, I feel like people have conversations about the environment or, you know, we get into arguments about statistics or whether you believe in it or not, but I don't know if we always have the tools to think about the framing and what, uh, kind of perspective people are coming at it from in the way that they talk about things or the way that they think about things environmental. Do you think that's because people aren't as connected to the natural environment as they maybe need to be, or we need to be? Uh, well, there's that. Yeah, I would say there's probably that part of it. I'm hoping that some of that changed a little bit for people in the last couple of years who were able to make that change because they, you know, couldn't do anything else and they could get outside and, and do stuff. Pandemic. Keep, driven. Yeah, to stay exercised and entertained. 
Um, uh, and I think people did realize, like, oh, wow, look, all of a sudden sm the smog cleared because nobody was traveling anywhere. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? And, mm -hmm. You know, no, so just there were immediate effects that people saw. But, um, you know, that's part of it. But it's also just, you know, in general, I think that it's it's very easy to be superficial in our society and not to want to deal with complexity or nuance and look for the easy answer and stay in the shallow end of the pool in terms of how we will, you know, respond to things or just, you know, let's let what somebody else said that what that seems to have made sense. That's I'll, I'll go with that type of thing. We don't think about our thinking. And so mm. when we, when we talk about environmental subjects, um, there are competing interests when it comes to the environment. We, you know, we live in a Western society, and that Western society is dominated by a certain way of thinking about human relationship to the environment. And that kind of goes back in a couple of prongs. I mean, there's, you know, you can go back to Aristotle, who saw that there was a hierarchy in nature for, uh, you know, based on the physical aspects of beings and then their emotional aspects and their ability to reason and think, which put humans at the top of the, the chain, um, obviously, in, in a human's mind. Mm, yeah, and, a little, little bit uh, biased, right? Yeah, but then also you've got, you know, Old Testament where the humans, you know, the, God made the world and, and put humans on it to have dominion over the place. Mm -hmm. And um, that dominion complex doesn't just extend to the natural world. That, that comes all the way forward to dominionist Christian Christianity that seeks to have the Christian faith be the, the uh, what guides governmental operations. Right, right. It's a complete dominion thing. So th there's that offshoot. So that idea comes all the way forward through that dominion over the fish and the land and the trees to dominion over everything. Right, and we're talking so, Catholicism-wise, St. Thomas Aquinas and St. Francis Assisi. You know, well, is, then, yeah, but now when you get to St. Francis Assisi, this is where there's like there's a strain of green Christianity, whereas, well, no, actually, we want all of God's creatures to be treated as equal. Yeah. And, and, and so that's different. So, and Aquinas. That's, right. Well, and so that's where you see that's kind of a more radical approach to thinking about things because it, it diminuizes, diminuizes the human aspect. And so that's where if you start thinking about environmental philosophy in general, you've, we've got this radical anthro centrism mm -hmm. to most of our thought you know that the, the, the world is here yeah the, the world is here for our purposes and you know that's just the way it is you know so then that's where you get to this place where you know in the you know in the 19th century you've got the emergence of these ideas like you've got Gifford Pinchot with conservation and you've got John Muir with preservation, mm -hmm, exactly. Both wanting to both wanting to protect the environment. Yeah, they're both environmentalists. But, yes, but this goes again to it, that's how it it showed up in terms of pragmatic politics 
and idea, you know, functioning ideas, working ideas. What that really comes from is the idea is that do things in the world for us have instrumental value or do they have intrinsic value? Right. And yours intrinsic Pinchot is uh, instrumental. It's instrumental. Right. Meaning that, well, yes, we want to protect that forest because we might want to cut it down later. Or, well, better, if we can manage that forest, we can keep taking wood out of it for years and years. It, it, you know, or, or we can make, the, as a country, we can make money by leasing our lands to mining interests or uh, drilling interests. And, and why do you think revisiting this uh, sort of duality is so important today in your mind right now? Well, yeah, I'm, I'll go so far as that I don't think it's just du- duality, but it's the, the, the multi-reality of how we see ourselves and our responsibility to the planet and one another. Because are we going to just try to save the planet so that we can kill it later? Or do we want to save the planet because we want to be able to live here as long as we can? Or do we want to save the planet because we don't really – we really shouldn't be in charge of all this and we don't know enough about this planet to run the planet. We, we can sort of screw it up without knowing that we're screwing it up. But how do we need to change the way we think about things and how we operate here? I, I, I love it. And, but you know, you look at just the United States of America and you look at people who are deniers of science and the fact – facts that are in front of them, in particular with things like elections and the like, right? How, how do you expect that mentality, and there are millions that have that mentality, to to uh, embrace uh, in a more sort of esoteric, uh, uh, abstract uh, milieu th- what you're talking about and, 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 you know, supporting or working toward this this relationship and you know that they don't necessarily are, aren't willing to to perhaps I would say based on their past uh, uh, behavior to to to, to try, try to figure out. Well, as individuals, you may not be able to convince individuals. I mean, I would say to any individual is that look, I, I'm operating on the best understanding of science and the facts and the way that the world works, given how much effort humanity has put into understanding this stuff. And so you can have a belief about things, but that belief can't supersede the consensus acknowledgement of a bunch of us about the rest of the facts and stuff. So you can have that belief if you want, but that can't necessarily change the course of how we behave as a society. Uh, Yeah, I hear you, but, But, you know. So then the second thing is, and here's the the part where – so we'll get a little farther down here because we, we haven't gotten to radical ecology. Go, go, yeah. Or, 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 you know, radical environmentalism yet. But you, so you, you, you get the, the, the difference between conservationism and preservationism and how, you know, like the USDA, they'll say that those work side by side because you can have the beautiful forest center that you protect for all time and then you have this forest around it that you harvest when you need to. Right. And you kind of find a balance in there. You go a step farther and you, you, you look into – what's called deep ecology or has become radical ecology is to really take a step back and look at how our frame, our current framework of exploitation based on the pre you know, preconceived notions we've been operating under that this is all here for us 
mm-hmm. and, you know, for our good. That that is in a way that 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 systematic exploitation is just as harm you know harmful to society as a whole as systematic racism is systematic classism mm-hmm. is. Now you're talking Professor McKibben and Chomsky and all those dudes. Well, exactly. And so now this is why you get a radical regressive component of the populace who now they don't want to hear about any of this because now you're calling out a lot of their fundamental beliefs. Not just, you know, a single belief about, you know, God's dominion over the over the, the fish in the tree, you know, our dominion over the fish in the trees, but also about some very basic cultural precepts. Oh man. Or or economic precepts. That yeah. yeah. And that and that we don't have for for all of the years since the Industrial Revolution, producers have never had to price in their pollution. No. Society it, has borne that cost. Externalities. Exactly. And so now you're talking about you know you know, the way that the, the person who doesn't believe in any of this is gonna have to deal with it is when we start pricing some of that stuff in because we say we're op- operating in a capitalist society, but we're not actually doing so because we're not properly pricing the cost of production. Well, you know, that goes back and to it's, what... And it's allowing exploitation to continue on a massive scale. Right. So, you know, there is a certain faction of humanity that always exploits, right? Whether it be the natural mm-hmm. environment. This is what I'm getting from what you're saying. You're, you're connecting it for me. From the natural environment, well, you know, those externalities, you know, the, the, the sky, the air, we don't include what it... On the on the balance sheet, what service it gives us in taking on the pollution that comes out of the smokestack, so we exploit it, right? And then certain uh, or the costs that are borne by you know people who don't have the levers of means to the levers of power and suffer because of health issues and and, exactly right. And then you so socioeconomic class uh, has a has a a sort of a a place in, in this whole. Analysis and the race, of course, people of color, uh, you know, they're being exploited, have been exploited uh, through slavery and uh, indentured servitude and lower wages, women. Uh, So it's always somebody's always something's always getting exploited. Well, and that's, I think, my point. That's if, you know, yes, it's very complicated. Yes, there are a lot of nuances, not nuanced angles to all this. But when it comes right down to it, it is it's, it's about exploitation. And and deciding from a moral perspective if that's okay, because that's what environmental philosophy comes down to is extending morality. You know, do, should you treat people well? Should you treat the plants and the animals well? Should we treat the planet planet well? Because they, it all has intrinsic value. It's it's not here to be our instrument. In fact, the only reason why we are here is because we arise from the val- this int- complex intrinsic value that we don't even fully understand. Arise in what uh, way uh, do you uh, mean? What do you mean, arise? Like we, we came out of the ocean? Uh, you know, how, the- however, yes, I mean, how, however you want to look at it in terms of as we evolved, but then also how we have used the resources of this planet to become so powerful that we could actually damage the resources of the planet to the point to damage our own sustainability. What would you say to those folks who would counter by by uh, bringing up how wonderfully intelligent we are and resourceful we are? We'll, we'll figure out a way to solve these problems. Oh, you believe in science? When when it's when it's, uh, when convenient. it's convenient? Yes, there. That that that's my. That's exactly my question. 
So because there's too much of having it two ways right now. And the and this kind of gets to where I was going in terms of the, the language, the rhetoric of violence is that that in our political sphere right now in and of itself is probably the most radical form of exploitation. It's in because it what it does is it it exploits potential weaknesses. It, it exploits people's base, you know, right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and to not have to live under threat. So it it takes away agency from people. Violent rhetoric takes away agency from people. When it, you say agency, it, what it, do you mean? It what it, it, it does it it it's like anything else. If you get somebody throws a punch at you. Do you get hit by it? Do you dodge it? Can you block it? It's like you're forced to have to deal with that. The, the, the very act of having violent rhetoric, rhetoric hurled in your direction is, from my perspective, a, 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 a crime against morality. Hmm. Crimes against morality. Now – in, this, go, go in the same way, you know that, that we can we that the the crimes against the earth and our environment that we commit are also moral crimes. In that we're 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 intentionally or unintentionally, or then becoming intentional, realizing we we didn't intend to, but then not stopping the the process of creating harm. Right, not ex, not taking responsibility. responsibility for creating harm and not ceasing the the harm. And why? And I, why is that? Ego, you know, immature. Let's see, in terms of emotionality. Yeah, yeah, it, it could be that, or there's a cost to it. Selfish. And again, yeah, the ex, you know, exploiters do not want to pay the extra cost. Right. I mean, maybe I'm just babbling in circles here, but I, no. it's just I've been recently like really trying to, you know, meditate on the 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 crossovers and the interconnections between some of these fundamental things that we're dealing with, because the fact that they're kind of happening at the same time leads me to believe that that isn't coincidental, but that there's some kind of connective tissue between them. And I, I just keep coming back to this, this idea that cultures of exploitation or cultures that want to get their way through violence whether it be actual physical violence or the threat thereof, that's basically using violence or the threat of violence to influence a political process is the basically the definition of terrorism. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree. And, so, and that scares people, as you said, away from being more pragmatic, being more fair-minded, being more collaborative, you know, all of those important good things. Uh, it creates division and fear or disc at the very least people just say, I don't want to be dealing with that. It's ugly. And well, that's away. it. And because, because the violent rhetoric, it makes people who are the targets of the rhetoric want to get out of the way of that and not be forced to have to deal with it or fight back against it. Because they're they're basically being violated, their space is being violated. But it also the violent rhetoric, when it is not met with a, a response that stops it, emboldens other people to engage in the same violent rhetoric. And so then all of a sudden you start to get an infectious quality. Right. 
or people again they get a they get a distaste for the whole situation and they walk away they disconnect right so what happens is it becomes lopsided and the overton window starts shifting into making the violent rhetoric okay overton window now you got to explain that reference it's kind of it's the Overton window is like this window of perception. I got I might have to look this up myself just to get it right. Uh, you think I'm gonna let you say those kinds of things and not have you qualify them? Yeah, yeah, okay. So find them. I don't. Yeah, our the listeners Overton, need to know. Me too. Yeah, the Overton window is the range of this is Wikipedia by the way. The Overton window is the range of policies politically acceptable to the mainstream population at a given time. It's also known as the window of discourse. And so this is where you see in current discourse, the former guy made some reference to maybe the Second Amendment people can help us with that. And the orangutan, heard, you're talking about the orangutan? Yeah, and, and how many times have you heard that term used since then to describe an answer to a, a stalemate in policy? Violent, again. It's, it's a, that's a reference to violence, but, yeah. but it's it's been replicated now, so... It got made okay to say something like that. So now the Overton window has shifted to a point where, oh, yeah, it's okay to, to, to use those violent references. So we're devolving. We're regressing. We're, you know, we're... we're, we're uh, yeah. 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 And so that's where you have to be able to call that kind of thing out and say, hey, that's, that's unacceptable language. That's the language of violence, and that's not the way that we solve things here. Why, don't, why doesn't that happen as often as it, it probably could and definitely I, should? Well, I think that this is where everybody could learn a lot from what's coming out of the diversity, equity, inclusion discussions in terms of being able to set boundaries and talk about and be able to say, hey, what you just said is not okay. That's not acceptable. I'm not going to engage in the discussion anymore based if you're going to use those kinds of terminologies or that kind of language because that doesn't work. That's not, that's not civil discourse. So if you want to have a debate movement, you can't use that kind of you know, be able to set boundaries or break off when say, okay, that, you've just been you've just been identified as someone who either can't engage in civil discourse without resorting to violence, or who don't have enough, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, lucid policies or, or or ideas to use that would actually convince people such that you need to resort to violence. You hope, though, you'd be supported with that approach. That's the thing, you know, or that you'd also hope that people don't use that approach in in a negative way, sort of like I think this is negative when you, we quickly cancel someone, you know, uh, it, it, or we, we, we make it so people feel uncomfortable uh, really having a vigorous discussion because they don't want to well, be... You can, ha you can have vig vigorous discussions, but you have to be aware of the boundaries. And so from my perspective, that we've talked about the, you know, Stuart Popper, I mean, Popper before, in terms of you, the only thing you cannot to, you, tolerate is intolerance. And violent rhetoric is, is intolerant of civil society. So it's one of those places where you have to draw the line and, and be able to put the spotlight on it when it's said. And I think that there's just not enough people that understand what the severity of what that means because I read an article. Um, it was actually a sobering recent article in The Atlantic um, by a guy named Husseini Bish who is talking about 
but the title of the article is just to, just to shock you, if, if it will. When they fantasize about killing you, believe them. It is the based on his experience in the Middle East that when rhetoric starts turning violent, violent behavior is not far behind. Mm-hmm. It is simply the natural progression of things. Right. And from my perspective as a, somebody who trains martial arts and understands some things about self-defense, usually the person will tell you they're about to hit you before they hit you. You can read it. No, they'll they'll come out and say, "I'm wow. about to I'm, gonna, I'm about to punch your lights out." They will they will often announce ver- announce what they're about to do because that's part of the control process. Mm, gotcha. So, you know, I this is why it, I I feel like just like we need to be really clear about the language and the framing when we're talking about environmental issues. We need to be really clear about boundaries and how we talk about the rhetoric that we're hearing on a regular basis because it's, it's not okay in civil society. And, and, and now let's connect. This is all great stuff. Almighty Todd, let's connect in the lo- next, you know, several minutes. Cause we're just about out of time. You know, this goes by so quickly. Uh, when we talk, uh, let's connect the, where we started, you know, uh, environmental philosophy and, and, uh, to, to, uh, violent rhetoric and, and, uh, you know, the, the state of, Affairs in society, as as it were. Well, I guess we kind of started to to touch it a little while ago, and, it, and this idea of harm, causing harm, because this can happen at all kinds of levels, whether it be at the environmental level, where we are doing things that we need to stop doing if we want our to keep our ozone. You know, the, the, there was a lot of stuff that happened in nineteen in the nineteen sixties in terms of environmental philosophy coming to life because we were dealing with a lot of pollution, and it was apparent that we needed to to do something. Um, it's again about harm. It's about understanding that that how violent rhetoric, when it's used, causes damage on the other side. Whether you know somebody intends there to be damage or not, when you know, our representatives are getting their families are getting death threats because they're trying to do their job on Capitol Hill. There's a real, there's a real toll to that. There is a cost to that. The same way that there are environmental pollutant costs that are not being you know accounted for. So at you know at, at the the level we, we can verse with one another, we may not realize that we cause harm to one another, but we need to be able to if someone tells us that we have acknowledge that. And not just acknowledge it, but actually maybe take a step back and think, how do we get to that place that it happened, especially if we weren't aware of it? I mean, we hope that people don't cause harm on purpose because that's actually like psychopathic. But when we harm people on accident and we are told about that, we need to be prepared to take a step back and understand what about our process gets us to that point. What, why did that happen? The same way we need to go back and examine our whole economic process to see what it is doing to perpetuate the harm that we're doing to the planet and our environment. It's not just about meeting, you know, some simple goals or, you know, you and I saying, well, I'm going to drive less because the, the other big, you know, problem here is that we've, we're starting to get sold this idea that we as consumers are the ones that need to fix the planet through what we buy and how we act. And the corporations that we buy those products from, they're still not paying the environmental cost on the other end. We're, we're kind of picking it up as consumers. Yeah. So I, I just I, – I feel like 
it, for any of us, it's a good idea to think about what are the impacts I have on the world around me. I love and it. and when you know if I'm going on, if I'm doing something that I I shouldn't be or that's causing somebody else harm, how can I fix that? I mean, that should be a, a basic tenet of of human morality. Almighty Todd, our reluctant resident philosopher here on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, speaking with us from his space, his place, his homestead in Stockbridge, Vermont. It's always a pleasure for Tello. Oh, man, it's good to talk with you too, brother. Please stay warm. Yes, you too. You stay warm as well. And uh, uh, hopefully within this next 12 months, you and I can share some uh, time together physically. It's been a while since we've been in proximity. We need some in real life and a clink of the glass. Yes, definitely. I want to have some of your wine. Yes, I'd be glad to. I would be very glad to share some with you. Well, You're always welcome. I know. You're welcome here as well. And uh, until then, take care. Enjoy enjoy the winter. Tell uh, your wonderful wife we, we said hello. and uh, Hugs and kisses to all your clan as well. You take care, my friend. Take care. Ciao. Ciao.
And now some actual statistics a la Harper's Magazine from its January 2022 edition. This is Harper's Index, actual statistics. Portion of adults who think COVID-19 will change the United States for the better, one-fifth, who say it's acceptable to fake one's vaccination status to keep a job, one-fifth, to eat at a restaurant, one-fifth, Percentage of restaurant workers who say the past year has taken a toll on their mental health, 78. Chance that a small restaurant was unable to pay rent in September, 1 in 2. Portion of U.S. households that say they have faced serious financial difficulties in recent months, 2 fifths or 40% that say they have depleted all of their savings since the pandemic started, one-fifth, or 20%. Percentage of Americans who think that not having the newest iPhone is a sign of financial struggle, 15%. Portion of Americans willing to go into debt for a new iPhone, one-fifth. Percentage increase in the number of yachts sold last year, up 14%. Amount by which the price of a seat on a Virgin Galactic space flight increased last year, $200,000. Percentage increase in the wealth of U.S. billionaires since the start of the pandemic, 70% increase in wealth. Percentage increase since 2020 in the number of Americans who view the existence of billionaires as bad for the country. 26%. Portion of adults who believe that U.S. crime has increased in the past year. Three-fifths or 60%. Of regular Fox News viewers who believe so three-fourths, or 75%. Percentage change in the number of major crimes in the United States in the past year. It's gone down by 5%. Percentage by which Yakuza membership has declined in the past decade. 63% decline. Percentage of people killed by police between 1980 and 2018 whose death certificates list a different cause of death, 55%. Percentage by which more men died from police encounters than from testicular cancer in 2019, 135% more. Factor by which the Chicago Police Department's advertising budget is projected to increase this year, 96%. Minimum number of times Chevron has aired TV ads since June 2020, promoting itself as green or sustainable. 26,400 times. Maximum percentage of Chevron's budget spent on green technologies in the past decade. 1%. Average number of U.S. oil spills reported in the Gulf of Mexico each month. 20 five oil spills on average. 
Percentage increase last year in the amount of U.S. electricity generated by coal-fired plants. 22% increase. Percentage of people worldwide who are, quote, not too concerned about climate change. 27%. Who are willing to make significant changes to their lives to reduce its effects. 19%. Factor by which someone born in 2020 will likely experience more river floods and droughts than someone born in 1960. Factor of three, more. By which they will likely experience more heat waves. Seven times more likely. How do you like them apples?
Gray day. Trees without leaves, brown, gray, with white snow on the ground below, like a big sloped pincushion out my window. And though I don't see them, I know there is life there, where the bear sleeps and the deer and antelope roam. We share this landscape as our home. Where's my comb?
episode 455 of Troubadours and Rock On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our good friend, Almighty Todd. I'd like to thank Harper's Magazine and these musical artists. Thelonious Monk, The Pretenders, The Velvet Underground, Lanou, Fortet, The Heartless Bastards, Childish Gambino, Terrence Blanchard and Brantford Marsalis, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time. Take care. <laughs>